I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. I can't believe it. It is Masters Week. And for this year's Masters preview, the five things about the Masters, we have a former champion of the Masters, Trevor Immelman, who will also be leading the CBS broadcast uh, this weekend. So awesome to have Trevor on. He was uh, he was excellent. I made him do some homework uh, and, and prepare a few things about what he was looking for this Masters. So we talk all things Masters in a minute. Uh, just a, a reminder of what we have going on on the Fried Egg this week for Masters Week. Right now, we have Garrett Morrison and Meg Atkins down on the ground for ANWA. They are reporting uh, through the Fried Egg newsletter and the podcast on on ANWA and everything going on there. It seems like Rose Zhang is running away with it. Obviously, this is being recorded before Saturday's final round. Uh, Brendan and I will be down at, in Augusta, uh, this week and, uh, we will be doing daily shotgun start, uh, recording. So if you are looking for more masters coverage and don't listen to the shotgun start, I will be over there talking golf with Brendan Porath, uh, all week. The newsletter letter will be humming. Uh, we will be, Brendan and I will be writing in the newsletter as well as Will and Garrett and, and uh, Joseph Lamania and Shane Bacon, all of our great newsletter contributors will be humming. So that will be going out daily. Uh, that's free. Sign up for that on thefriedegg.com. And then we will have daily articles in Club TFE, our membership, which is uh, $120 for the year. And we have pretty much daily articles every week uh, in there. You know, So those will be master-centric. We will have a master's pool for Club TFE members where we're giving away some good stuff. Uh, join that at membership.thefriedag.com. Uh, overall, we'll have just a ton of stuff going on on the website, social, uh, and the podcast feeds this week. So without further ado, here is Trevor Immelman on the Masters. All right. It, it seems like you just had an all-time weekend with your son. Uh, you played Augusta and TPC Sawgrass. And I, I remember you posting earlier this year, that he was starting to outdrive you. I'm I'm wondering how close are we to to him getting you outright on, in a round? Uh, yeah, first of all, it was an incredible, incredible weekend. Stuff dreams are made of, really. To be honest, um, you know, when we play really difficult courses like Augusta National or the Stadium Course, you know, the the gap is still there. It's like I was speaking to him on the drive down from Augusta to to uh, TPC, and we were talking through the two rounds we played. And and really, my advice to him was: Look, I never had to develop a skill for understanding strategy yet. He's just never had to do it. The courses that he plays in tournaments, our home course, it's all just pretty much right there. You know you. You get the number with your measuring device, 180. Okay, I'm going to land at 180. Like that, that's how 
um, that's how, pretty much how he plays. And all of a sudden, you know, we get to Augusta National, or we get to Sawgrass, and now, you know, that 180 to the whole location is all right. That is the max that you can finish it because if you go long here, you're dead. And so this means now with the fir greens being firmer, you got to land this thing 72-73. You got a little wind helping you, so it's playing 68-67. So a perfect example is we get to the first hole at Augusta National and he just smokes a tee shot down there. I mean, the kid was nervous. Um, and, you know, there, there was a, a few people standing around the tee because they knew that it was his first time playing the course. And uh, he just absolutely pipes this awesome fade down the middle. And um, whole location back middle, which is actually, it sounds benign the first uh, green complex at augusta national one of the toughest on the whole golf course it is um, tiny little areas that you need to keep the ball in also it is the pretty much the highest or it is the highest point at that facility so that green can be firm a little firmer than the others at times and uh he goes ahead he's between five and six iron and he just hits the five perfect and he lands it right at the hole. And this thing just one bounces straight over the back in the first. And we're walking up to the green. And I'm like, good luck from there, buddy. I mean, five is going to be a great score at this point. And that was like his welcome to Augusta National. He's hit two perfect shots in a row. And really now he's just trying to figure out how he can make bogey. And so that's the skill that he really needs to develop. So when we play pro-level courses like that, those are things that he, he still needs to get better at to, to uh, control the scoring. So there's still a bit of a gap there. You know, I can fake my way around because I know where to miss it. Yeah, that that makes sense. It's uh, it's just about, you know, it's, it's so much about misses when you get to the higher levels of golf. It's just, you know, uh, avoiding bogeys, right? Mm. He's making big numbers because of inexperience, which is uh, which is understandable for you know, he's a high schooler, right? Yeah, 16 years old. Uh, played in a lot of tournaments, so he has that experience. But yeah, I give him a lot of credit because um, you know he he played back at, on the Masters tees, and uh, and we played back there together, and so it's tough. Yeah, it's it's really tough because he's not quite able to get over um, you know some of the ridges like you know, the tee shot on one, uh, stuff like that. Five is another one now with that new back tee. Uh, so he had a lot of a lot of long clubs into into the par fours and the par fives just weren't quite reachable. Yeah. Um, so we've got the Masters. We're we're one week out of Masters week, and uh, for this, I I had you you prepare five things, our traditional five things that we're watching heading into the Masters. Um, should be a excellent tournament. I I can't wait for the first major of the year. I would uh, I'd love to hear. What, what you're leading off with, with your five things. Well, first of all, I got to give you a hard time because this is the first podcast I've ever been on where I've been told to do homework <laughs> before I come on. So I'm not sure, you know, I'm expecting a check in the mail for this, Andy. I got I to let you know. It's, 
But here it's we go. It's a big ask. Here five things, you, you know. Do you want my num- do you know do you want my number one or do you want me to burn through all five of them? Well, I want your number one. We'll go we'll go back and forth. I've got five written down, you've got five written down. That's how this podcast goes. You know, you you want to come Okay, so it's a little give and take. Yeah. It's not a one way street. Yeah. I like yeah, this. Yeah, we both we both Okay, did so props. here goes my number one. <laughs> okay. Here goes my number one. My number one thing that I'm looking forward to is Rory McIlroy opportunity to complete the Grand Slam, become the sixth human or man man to ever do it, and I think that is it's just that that is an extremely elite list in in all of sports, and for him to have the opportunity to do that uh, is quite incredible. And then you start to add the layers to that, the fact that seemingly this golf course is made for him. You know, it's much like Ernie Els back in the day. You you sort of think these guys should win two, three, four green jackets apiece uh, with the way their game matches the golf course. So that's the one layer. The second layer is how popular he is. It's, it's, um, it's unusual. I'll say this as an international player that has been fortunate enough to live and work in America. It's unusual for an international player to be as popular as Rory McIlroy is. You know, Americans are spoiled with great athletes. And, you know, if we drill down into our niche sport, um, you know, we've had, had all the top stars here coming from America. And particularly right now in the game, you know, you've got the Thomases and Schefflers and, and Spieths and all of those guys. Homer is extremely popular. But McIlroy is more popular than all of them. And he's not from here. And that's unusual. So that's another layer. Uh, and then the the intrigue really is that he's he's had a few close calls there, and he just hasn't been able to get it done. So if he does, there's two two pieces. You know, number one, he's going to have this pressure to start the week. If he manages to get his way through that, and he actually has a chance to win on the weekend. Um, you know, how is he going to be able to deal with all of this extra weight? It's, it's going to be an incredible storyline. And if, you know, never mind the fact that he's, he's been one of the guys that is, or maybe even the guy to put the PGA Tour on his back for the last two years. But if he had to find a way to win the green jacket and uh, complete all of these various pieces, man, that will be, uh, for me, the biggest story since Tiger's win in 2019. Yeah, I I think the thing too about the Grand Slam with Rory is that it in a way is like flying a little bit under the radar because he's had so many chances at it. It seems like, you know, like that the talking point of the Grand Career Grand Slam it almost diminishes every year you have a shot at it. The same things happening with Jordan Spieth in the PGA. But also, I think like one of the nice things for Rory and this is this ties into my big thing is that we this year have Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm are going to take up some of that oxygen in the room. So, you know, it, I think storyline A is going to be Rory, but it's also Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm, you know, and they're, you know, really like, you know, John Rahm, three wins already this year. Scotty Scheffler seemingly kind of in the exact same form where he blew the doors off everybody last year. So we have these other two guys that are kind of sharing that top of the game spotlight 
with Rory. And, um, and I think, you know, that, that grand slam pressure is, is obviously always going to be there, but I don't think it's the top storyline. And obviously it seems like, you know, the official field list isn't out, but you have tiger also there taking up some of that oxygen. So the nice part part for Rory is that he is, he is the oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, last year I couldn't believe like, I, I mean, last year obviously was such a surprise, you know, that he was playing, but the way that the attention on the golf course is just, it's just, he, it, nobody even comes close. Yeah. I, uh, for sure. He, he's, uh, he's a little further down my list because, you know, as much as I've seen him do mind bending things throughout my career in the professional game you know i think his chances to to win are much less than years that we've seen in the past so so i i slid him a little bit further down my list but he's absolutely in my top five you know uh, the other thing about rory that i wanted to say i think the blade putter i don't know if you caught any of this weekend's coverage you were playing golf but he looks Infinite, I'm, always, I'm always watching and infinitely better with the blade putter. It's not, it's not a, I don't think that like I have no mechanical things, but it just looks so good. It looks like a putter that you would see a guy like Rory winning the, the grand slam with like, you know, just purely aesthetic based. I love the blade putter look for Rory and not the, the big spaceship putter. Yeah. I do agree with you. I got to say, you know, my critique over the years of Rory when he was struggling with this putting uh, and he, he doesn't really anymore. I mean, he's vastly improved his putting last year. I'm, you might have to check this, but I'm quite certain last season he was in the top 20 in strokes gain putting, which is like legit. You know, that's a good putter right there. Uh, but my critique of his putting through the years was, you know, when we watch him hit a driver, which is his weapon, or long irons, which is he's just um, probably the best in the game at, at this point, it's so athletic. It's so natural. It's like that club just becomes a part of him. Like he moves in unison with this club. It's like it's, a, it's, it's, it's an art form watching it. But when I used to watch him putt, this is like five, six years ago, it looked so stiff and wooden. And I just wish that he would find a way to start to look more like he did with his driver. And I got to give a lot of credit to him and Brad Faxon for finding a way to start doing that, even when he was using the mallet. And he used the mallet to putt extremely well last year. Uh, but I love the mindset because when you listen to what he's been saying about the putter change in the last two weeks, it's exactly that. He's like, oh, I, I love the way it looks. I feel like I can be a bit more athletic, a bit more reactive and just let the stroke happen. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is nice. We're on we're on the right track with this. So he seemed to overall putt quite well at the match play. So hopefully you can keep that going. Yeah. So what's your uh, next thing? So my first of all, you told me that McElroy is not number one. So what was your, your number one was, was what? Well, it was the three of them. It was Rory, Scheffler, and... Oh, but that's cheating. Well, yeah, I, mean, I know. I, che- I can't I, bunch them together. Guess what? It's not cheating. It's my rules. It's my podcast. I guess Did you do them. your homework for this? Yeah, I got, I got I five things here. I got, I got, I got okay. five things. I, I just put the top three together. They're in a bucket. I feel like they've elevated themselves okay. above everybody else. 
they're the three best players in the game. And, you know, on a given day, it could be any of them. So that's why I put them all together. You know, this is the problem. They're, they've okay. all played too well, and they've all gotten into this one bucket together. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to... I know. You're right. I'm not going to monopolize right my five things with three guys. You know, that's the thing. Okay. You see, this is my first time doing this, so I didn't know what kind of leeway I had. And I might be in a little bit of trouble because John Rahm is not in my five. Ooh. So that is, that is quite interesting. But here's my number two. My number two is the 13th hole. All right. Had the opportunity to play it a couple of times here over the weekend. It is, um, it's a great change for where we are with the equipment right now. Lengthened the hole from around 40, uh, up to about 40 yards, around 40 yards. And so it's at 550 with the huge dog leg. But I think it's a huge storyline because, you know, this is, this is one of the most iconic holes on the planet. And for us to be at this point to where that hole needs to be lengthened in order for it to play somewhat how it was designed is quite something. And it's also a, a sign that, you know, Augusta National has had such an incredible ability or it's more evidence to show that Augusta National has had such an incredible ability to move with the times and the technology and how far these players hit it now. You know, if you just compare the distance of the course when Tiger won his first green jacket in 97 to what it's going to be in 2023, I mean, it's hundreds of yards longer. And so uh, that 13th hole is, is it's, um, it's a cool change. It feels good. Uh, it's beautiful the way they've taken it back and they've built that stone wall around there. Uh, the azaleas are absolutely popping right now. And it's kind of, uh, reminds me a little bit of 18. It's pulled back into a little bit of a shoot. Mm -hmm. And you just feel like you have infinite space. My son actually said to me, wow, I feel like I have from Ray's Creek all the way to like the 11th fairway as space to hit it if I want. I can just hit it as far right as I want to uh, and then decide, you know, how much I want to try and hug or, or cut off if I want. So, you know, players still will have the ability to try and turn it just a little bit around the corner. And if they manage to do that, we're going to see anything from five woods and hybrids to um, fives and six signs in there for the approach. But going to be really cool to see how that whole plays now. Yeah, you know the the 13th. I was curious. I wanted to talk to you about the 13th. So I'm glad it was it made your things. Uh it it kind of made my things in a once again, I'm I'm bunching here. I put the back nine par fives. Obviously last year the 15th, the lengthening was a huge storyline and it played into that wind and it made it like, you know, everybody the I think Augusta obviously loves the that momentous decision line and it made 15 mm -hmm. a momentous decision. And I'm I'm very curious this year with 13, you know how it how it affects it. And from the from the sounds of it, I think what's exciting about the change is that if you hit a really great tee shot, you're going to be rewarded with like you know for a longer player a five or six iron. It sounded like from Rory and Scheffler, that's the type of shots if they hit a really good drive, they're going to hit into it. But that average drive, all of a sudden, it's not going to be a foregone conclusion that you're getting home in two. 
or that you're going to want to get home in two. If you're all of a sudden on that hanging lie with a five wood versus a four iron, there's a little bit more thought in the head. So for me, I think the back nine has the opportunity and we'll see how it plays out. But to have not just one, but two momentous decisions, which I think is really great and obviously elevates those par fives. Um, And the 13th, it's just such an iconic and strategic hole. Um, Having that kind of left shot rewarded and having a little bit more room on the right um, is really, you know, it's an exciting thing because it presents almost more of a choice, right? Yeah, I was... I was in the 15th tower last year, so I, I really experienced 15 and paying a lot of attention to it. And with that wind playing into on 15, I wanted more players to be able to go for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a small target, and that green is so shallow uh, with um, the shaved bank in front down into the pond. And then you know, if you just fly it over the back, it's a pretty steep downhill toward the pond on 16. Like you, you don't have to hit a terrible shot to hit it into the pond on 16 when playing your second shot into 15. I mean, it, it comes in there as the ball is descending, it's landing on a steep gradient and that ball just takes off. So for me in the past, the beauty of the par fives on the second nine at Augusta National is that you can get 70% of players going for it in two. For, like, I think that's the magic number because then you're going to see threes, you're going to see sixes and sevens and eights because guys are going to rinse it. They're going to get into the creek or into the ponds on 15. And so you're going you're gonna to get some spread, some volatility, some excitement. That's what I'm looking for. Last year, the way 15 played, in my opinion, with the wind back into, too many guys laying up. And then as an announcer, selfishly, you know, I've just got, I got to describe the same wedge shot over and over and over again, rather than being like, oh, this guy's trying to go for it. Anything could happen here. So, you know, hopefully this time around, we find that nice balance to where, yes, it, it is a massive decision that the players need to make. It's, it's a bit of a risk that they're going to take, but they want to take it because there's like this carrot dangling of, I can make a three here and, and get some crystal from the club. So you got to find you got to find that nice balance to where we can have the risk reward. Yeah, I've said this on this podcast, but I think I think the number of iconic shots over the recent years has has skewed towards fifteen more than thirteen. Obviously, you know you always have the fill one from the trees on thirteen, but mm-hmm. if you think of recent years, you have that Sergio shot where he kissed the flag. You have the tiger. I thought the tiger shot was just like that was like the most Tiger Woods shot of all time. Just like clinical execution, 20 yards or 20 feet right. Just like let the slope bring it in a little bit and and like dialed in perfect number. And I think that's the thing. One of the tricky things with Augusta, obviously, and this is this is by no means a, a critique, but, you know, they love the two tee boxes, you know. They have the the back tee and the member tee. And it, it's a very, it, you know, when you're on the grounds, it's so clean. It's so, you know, wonderful and simplistic. But one of the tricky things that it presents is when you get an odd wind like that into the wind on 15, it limits how much flexibility you have. You know, being able to move that tee up 25 yards because it's into the wind would be really nice, but they just don't 
they don't have that flexibility with the two T system. So that's a that's a tricky thing. And, and I hope, you know, my guess, it sounded like I remember last year, the talk was like, what a weird wind, you know, to have out there. So hopefully that that wind uh, isn't around uh, this year because it made it made, you know, the other thing about that wind is like seven downwind. What a nightmare that second shot is howling down, you know, mm-hmm. to that shallow green, shallow elevated green. Like if you think about the way that wind interacts with the course, it is it is a brutal, brutal wind um, to play that golf course in. Yeah, for sure. The last couple of days, it was the southwest, which is ordinarily what you would get this time of year so when you're playing the first hole it's a little bit down and out of your left mm-hmm. um when that north wind starts to kick up then then three of the par fives play into the wind so yeah. the scoring opportunities are a little bit less but yeah when seven is playing downwind um it is an extremely difficult second shot because first of all you're hitting off of a downhill lie so the ball is naturally going to launch lower you're hitting four or five yards uphill so that's making it even more difficult. And then, yeah, you have so little space from front to back uh, that you can, you can stop the ball. And if it's, if it's taking, you know, if conditions are, are, are right, you know, that ball with, uh, with a short iron even is going to be taking a five, six-yard skip on the first bounce. And at that point, really, you only have on seven yards to land it in and it needs to be just over that steep bunker and it has to be struck perfectly Mm -hmm. if you catch it a little on the toe it's going to take a little bit bigger that was one of my big um like underrated like for like first time spending a lot of time on grounds last year one of my big takeaways was just how shallow that green is like tv almost does it you know it's shallow but like you just like when you're standing behind that green there's a great spot to stand Mm -hmm. right behind it and you're just like, holy cow, like you have to hit this shot so perfect to get, you know, and, and obviously there's some helping contours, but what a great little green that is. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my third since I had the par fives, the back nine par fives, I'm lumping things. I'll do my third here and then we'll kick it to you for your third. Um, one of the things, this is a personal uh, inclusion that I'm looking forward to is, is the no cell phone policy on the grounds. It applies to press also for all the people wondering. Um, I personally, you know, at first it's jarring, you know, like you, you live with like, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I tap my, my pockets, you know, make sure I got my wallet, my keys, my cell phone, you know, that's like a, a thing I do a lot during the day. And it's always jarring. You're like walking out of the press center. You can have your phone in the press center, walking out of the press center. It's like, oh no, I got to run back to my seat, drop my phone off, you know? Um, but going out there, it's like a digital detox week for me. I think it's spectacular. And I think like, so one of the things that I would, I would, I was going to write about was just the magic of Augusta national, the magic of the roars of Augusta national really centers around the atmosphere that's, that's created. And one of the things I've just loved that I fell in love with, with the week was the no cell phone thing. You have all these people that come and you know what cell phones are is it is a distraction at golf tournaments. You know, people are filming things, people are looking on Twitter, people are looking at, at at the score, the leaderboards. So what happens at the Masters and what the magic I think of the Masters really is is that you have all these people that come in. They're with the most important people in their lives, their brothers, their their fathers, their, you know, significant others. 
and they're they have the undivided attention they're having like a euphoric experience because they're with the this person that means so much to them they're at a place it's a bucket list place it's probably somewhere that they're coming one time in their life and they have no distractions and their undivided attention is on this sport and what's happening and what happens there is that you just have these roars that don't exist because somebody's not looking at their phone they're not looking in and, and it's just it's an unbelievable I, I i it was the thing that i just couldn't believe and i couldn't wait to just like you know ditch my phone in the press center and go out in the day and just be amongst this like you know these people that were all having the best days of their lives and you know among like you know these are all you know you it's so rare that you get an opportunity to spend a day or an entire week amongst tens of thousands of people having one of the best days of their lives. And that's what happens out there. And for a journalist, you know, for me, you know, all I'm thinking about is, is the golf tournament and what I'm watching. I have a notepad, you know, I'm writing down notes, but you know, what you're able to do from, from a work side is get really lost in the golf. And like you're, you don't have, social media, you're not worried about a tweet you're sending. You're not worried about, you know, anything that's going on other than what you're watching. And it's really a special thing. And it's amazing that they're able to do the no cell phone thing in, in the modern day. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one, Andy. I like that one a lot. Uh, and we just experienced it this weekend. You know, we, we arrived on site. We just left our phones in the cabin. Didn't, didn't look at them for two days. And like you say, what it allows is it allows you the ability to truly experience what's going on uh, because you don't have this distraction that you're constantly looking at or replying to people or researching something or, you know, looking for information. And so it is, there's something freeing about that to where you, you can just enjoy this amazing experience of being at Augusta National. And so the fans are now, like you say, actually watching, actually paying attention, actually noticing the little things. Firstly, the sounds and the noises are different because, you know, on an ordinary week on the PGA Tour, there's a lot of shouting going on. There's a lot of shouting going on because people's hands are full. But now you, all of a sudden you get to the Masters and you'll hear more clapping because people have the ability uh to to go ahead and clap you just ordinarily don't hear clapping anymore it's just people shouting when you hit a good shot and there's it, it just feels different when you're there and when, when you when you're there for the masters i've noticed they have this campaign going right now on their social media channels uh, bring your best and you know you see it walking around like like people wear their best clothes or they they wear yes. you know the shirt they bought from the merchandise facility there, the shop, and they dress up and they look good and they feel good. And there's people wearing long pants to come and watch or women wearing dresses. And it's just, um, it's kind of like back in the old days when, you know, people would dress up to fly. If they were flying somewhere, you know, guys would wear suits and ties and women would have dresses and hats and stuff like that. It's, 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 a, it's a throwback in that sense. And uh, it just adds to the mystique and the the the, um, the traditions and the respect that, that people have for the tournament and uh, and for the for the for the place Augusta National. It's a good one. Yeah, it's it's an amazing one. 
Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Club Champion. It is, uh, it's, you know, the Masters always feels like if you live in the uh, northern climate, the start of the golf season. And uh, there's no better time to get dialed in with some new sticks than right now. Uh, our partners at Club Champion, they're the best. I, uh, I've trusted them a long time for my club fitting needs and golf club needs. Uh, you go in there, it's an amazing experience. Uh, you can try out basically every kind of head and shaft combo you can imagine and find exactly what is the best club for you. Um, they they dialed in. They have a, an incredible team of club fitters that know you know everything there is to know about what's going on in the equipment industry and personalizing your clubs for you. So uh, this, you know, you could get your wedges done. You could get your uh, irons done. You could get your putter done. You could get. You could be looking for new fairway woods or a new driver. Um, obviously, there are a lot of new equipment out on the market. So find what's best for you. And if you use the promo code Fried Egg, no spaces, you will get fifty uh, percent off your fitting with a club purchase. So that's a uh, really good deal. Use the promo code Fried Egg. And you'll get fifty percent off your club fitting with a uh, with a club purchase. So this is uh, this is the way to go if you're in the market for some new sticks, or if you're just trying to like. I mean, I think like wedge fitting is super underrated. Get dialed in there; it could you know help you shave a stroke or two off your score. So thanks, Club Champion, and now back to Trevor Immelman. What's your, what's your number three? My number three is Scotty Scheffler defending as world number one. Now, I have a slightly different take than your first point when you cheated and lumped them all together. <laughs> and so, and here's my take. I think because Tiger Woods is playing and he is, whenever he tees it up, is the biggest storyline. So he's going to suck up a bunch of oxygen. Um, McElroy trying to complete the Grand Slam is going to suck up a bunch of oxygen. I think that Scotty Scheffler is coming into this Masters as the world number one, as a guy who's already won a bunch of times this year, as the defending champion. I actually feel like he's coming to this Masters with less pressure on him than any of the other top dogs. I feel like he's flying under the radar. And particularly with the way he handles things and the way he carries himself. Everything is so calm, so matter of fact, so I have faith that what will be will be. And, you know, I just work hard and do my thing and I accept whatever happens. Like the whole mindset, the whole way he carries himself and with all the other storylines going on, I think he's coming in, flying under the radar, playing unbelievable golf undisputed number one as we sit here, even though it's changed hands a few times over the last few months. And uh, trying to become, let me think, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I'm wanting to say the fourth person to win back-to-back Masters. We have Jack, Tiger, and Nick Faldo, I believe, are the three that have won back-to-back. Do you think I'm missing anybody there? I don't think I am. I, I think you got it. You know, your your Masters history seems spot on. So I... I, uh, gosh, he's my favorite right now. He's my favorite. And this is not like recency bias. This is because, like you touched on, we've got a lot of guys playing great. You throw Max Homer in there. You can throw a few other players in there, guys that have played well there in the past. But uh, 
with with where he's at, the experience he had last year, he's going to have all those great memories flooding back as he comes down Magnolia Lane. And there's going to be so much else going on. I don't think he's going to be pulled and pushed in all sorts of different directions. I think he's just going to cruise the first few days. I just have a feeling he's going to win again. I feel like this was, it's it's like playing out almost exactly like last year. You know, I, he didn't win this week at, at the match play, but for all intensive purposes, it, it felt, mm-hmm. you know, getting to the final four of mm-hmm. that tournament feels like a win. You've played exceptional golf to get there. He swapped Bay Hill, the Bay Hill win last year with the players win this year. Yep. He won once in Scottsdale. And it's like, again, he comes in to this Masters, like you described, as almost an undercard. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, like I've, I've talked about this. I was watching Tiger on Friday. And Tiger was playing maybe two to three groups ahead of Scotty. And the patrons obviously were swarming Tiger as he's trying to make the cut. He's putting out on nine green and I, you know, all the, everybody leaves as he finishes putting. I'm still standing behind that green and I look and obviously you get a great vantage point to eight. You see that majestic hill that you play up on eight from the back of nine green. And I see Scotty Scheffler just walking. He's running away with the tournament at this point. You know, he's building this lead and nobody is following him. And I'm just thinking this guy is the hottest player in the world. I think at that time he had won three of five events coming mm-hmm. in and he gets the luxury of, of playing number world number one with no patrons around. And I, I just think like what kind of like there's never been that circumstance before where like a player like is electric would be storyline one a in any other year. Mm-hmm. And here because of Tiger Tiger's attempt to make the cut and just the miraculous return to golf that he had, you know, Scotty in a way just got to just like saunter his way to a Saturday where he had a, a big lead. And I think that's like something that is just kind of playing out again this year with all of the different stories that are going on in golf. Yeah. I have a great feel about it. And, you know, he's really created such a brilliant chemistry and relationship with his caddy, mm-hmm. uh, Teddy. And, you know, Ted's had a lot of success around that golf course too. He was on the bag both times with Bubba. And then he got his third time he was around with the winner uh, last year with Scotty. And those two guys just, they feed off of each other in such a positive way. And there never seems to be any panic or any, uh, I never seem to watch Scotty Scheffler and go, man, he's way out of his comfort zone right now. You know, this is... I really look forward to watching in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I think that, you know, there could be some sort of explosion. Like I never, ever, ever get that feeling. You know, I get that feeling when I watch Terrell Hatton. I get that feeling when I watch Rory McIlroy. You know, Rory McIlroy can make six birdies in a row and then make an eight. And and this is... Spieth would be in this bucket. Spieth is in this bucket. You know, I know you're down on Spieth. I still ride for Spieth, Andy. I still ride for him. Uh, I'm worried still, about. I'm I'm worried about my Spieth stance. I still to be completely think, honest. I still think he's he's got another major in him. To be honest with you, um, 
because really all he's missing right now is to run into a hot putting week for four days. And, and that could happen to any of us. It happened to me when I won the Masters. And I, wasn't, I wasn't a great putter. So that can happen to, to any of us at any, any moment. You never know with this crazy game. But yeah, Scheffler's just like, so if, if you look at the, the, the big three right now, and I use that term so loosely because the real big three were, I mean, what those guys did, Palmer, Nicholas, and Player was insane. These guys have a very, very long distance to go to, to get into that realm. But with the current big three, you know, like I said, Rory can be pretty volatile, not in his demeanor. He's extremely level-headed and calm and thoughtful and mega intelligent. Um, rational, he's very rational, but with his game, you know, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. He can, he can, he can do anything out there. Rom is the most volatile of the lot by far. You know, he's like a bull in a china shop. Just, you know, he, he's almost, and I enjoy watching him too because he's one of those athletes where he needs a little chip on his shoulder. He needs, he needs to be angry with someone. It feels like sometimes to get his best out of him. Not all the time, but maybe, sometimes. maybe it. Maybe it's you not including him in your five. That's going <laughs> to be the be. thing. Maybe if he listens to this, he's going to be like, you know what? These TV guys have no <laughs> clue what they're talking about. I'm going to go out there and, and prove this guy wrong. And that will be awesome because I'd love to have uh, a bit more Spanish flavor in that champion's locker room. So that would be great. Uh, but so you look at those two and then you look at Scotty and he just, you know, even though he's a, a big tall presence strong hits it a mile like he he just kind of cruises around without much fanfare and that is almost his strength from a a mental and emotional standpoint so yeah i feel like he's coming in flying under the radar without as much attention as what he could be getting rolling in as the defending champion and current world number one uh I got a great feeling about that guy, but you know, that's not going out on a limb. I have a great feeling about him every time he tees it up. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing on Scotty that I think, you know, when watching Tiger for years, he got spoiled with like when things even felt like they were unraveling, Tiger would always seemingly hit a shot. And one of the things when you're good at everything, when you're good at every single aspect of golf, you know, that shot can come from anywhere. It can be an iron shot. It could be a tee shot. It could be a, chip shot or it could be a putt and i feel that same way with scotty is mm. that when things even feel like they're beginning to unravel a little bit for him he he might make a 25 footer and and turn things around or like last year chip a ball in from seemingly you know a disaster just waiting to happen gosh that's so awesome you know with scotty he's got that that knack to just hit a shot and i you know, when Bryson DeChambeau played golf and wasn't a long drive uh, uh, guy and YouTuber, I kind of felt like he had that where he would he would just make he wasn't, you know, he would just make a 30 footer or, you know, hit a long drive and, and, and get that. And there's certain guys that that win a lot that that seems to happen to. They just hit shots that other guys don't hit mm. in the moments that they really need a shot. And Scotty Shuffler certainly has that. I've got a guy I've got my next one is Cam Smith. I think that to me this is this is one of the big questions. Um obviously the last major championship we saw, we saw one an unbelievable performance from uh, a player that had been knocking on major championships. 
doors, uh, namely the Masters at the old course where he went out and just played one of the best back nines I've ever seen. Um, he's still fifth in the OWGR, despite really not playing any uh, golf that would be ranked uh, since the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, he won the Australian PGA in 2023 at the very end, or in 2022, at the very end of the year. But this year, I don't think we've really been, anybody's been really thrilled with the results um, and missing the cut at the Saudi event, 6-26, and 26, which, which might sound okay, but when you consider 48 players in a field, not great results. And, yeah. you know, his, his master's record, he's got, he's got four top tens, which include a T3 last year, a T2, and a T5 in six appearances. This golf course is, you know, for a lot of the virtues of why Jordan Spieth plays well here, Cam Smith plays well here. And, um, you know, I think he's the guy that I just wonder what, what we're going to get from him. And I, you know, he could go out and be in contention. That wouldn't surprise me. He could go out and miss the cut. That wouldn't surprise me. And I think like, you know, I really wonder if he wasn't playing on the, on live where, where we would feel with him going into this masters. Obviously last year, he was really one of the players of the, of the year. And this year he's got no juice because he hasn't, we haven't seen him play a, a like a top flight event unlike these other guys i think that's the thing with these elevated events like you need to play competitive golf and the pga tour in a way has never been more competitive with these elevated events with these top players playing regularly or designated um and here's a guy that you know was at the top the peak of his game last year in the summer and now we see he hasn't really played of extremely competitive events since last july it was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I have a ton of respect for Cameron Smith. ton of respect for, for him and for his game. And I truly believe that if he didn't make the change, we wouldn't be talking about the big three. We'd be talking about the big four right now. Yeah. Exactly. And he would absolutely be in that conversation with Scheffler, Rahm, and McElroy. And we probably would have had a fourth world number one in this time as those three guys were, were handing it back and forth or, or shall I say, snatching it from each other with great golf and wins over the last few months. I truly believe that, that he would have been in that group doing the same thing. Uh, the ability that he has on and around the greens is like something we, we haven't seen since Spieth's heyday, um, you know, in that 2015 kind of era. And his long game was improving so much with tons of pop in the bats, uh, sneaky long, really, at times. And the way he won the 150th Open, he has that intangible. He has, he has that, uh, that inner determination, that, that, that big match temperament, the ability to stand up on the biggest stages and pull off shots that people at home are sitting going, how on earth did he just do that in this moment? And so he really is a full package. But like you say, it's been a little bit of a case of out of sight, out of mind. And then, you know, so far in 2023, he's only played two events with very lackluster golf. And uh, I believe they play this week in, uh, yeah. in Orlando. In your town. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, he'll have another event. It'll be extremely interesting to see how he performs there. 
And seeing as though, you know, you've got these buckets of things for your points, I'll throw, I will throw DJ and Bryson into that same Cam Smith bucket. DJ, uh, I, I'm less concerned about of the three because, you know, he just has this way about him of, you know, I know that I'm great. I know that I'm elite. Uh, I never panic. I'm never concerned. And so I, I think he may be able to bounce into it, having won there before and um, and knowing the course really well. But with those three guys, like you say, if they had to have a top 10, I would be, okay, yeah, look, these guys are elite golfers. But if, if any of them or all of them missed the cut, I just wouldn't be all that surprised either. I mean, I mean, Bryson. I'm I'm more worried about Larry Mize and Bryson's uh, rivalry, you know, than <laughs> than anything. Well, I'm worried about him taking down the shortest driver in the in the in the tournament. Mize Mize clipped him by one last I could, year. I, yep, People yep, forget yep, that. Yep, yep. I won't forget that. Um, I'm struggling to keep a straight face on that one. Um, uh, what I will say I, is, it this almost is my, was this is it my... almost was my fifth thing. <laughs> I think this is Larry Miser's last Masters, if if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So, a shout out to the '87 champion. It's it's unbelievable. Last year, I think Garrett Morrison from our team tracked Larry Mize and all the shots he was hitting in. I mean, the 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 amount of three woods that he was hitting he was just three wooding it to death. You know, driver three wood. Yeah, I remember playing a practice round with Gary Player in 2009 when he was playing his 51st and final masters and i was joking with him as we were playing because there were nine greens that he couldn't reach in regulation (laughs) and and he actually we need to go check this but his score was like seriously respectable i'm wanting to say he shot like 80 or 81 and he couldn't reach half of the greens <laughs> in regulation. And here's a guy that would have been, been maybe in his late 60s, right around 70. And he goes out and still has the hands and the nerve to be able to chip and putt his way around Augusta National. I mean, it was like, it was like, you know, in 2009, I could still play. I was defending champion. But his 80 or 81 would have been like me shooting 68. You know, like it would have been a great round of golf. If if Jacob, your son's smart, he would uh, he he'd be watching how Mize and and Sandy Lyle dissect <laughs> uh, Augusta National. That's right. And taking some notes, he you know you you've got that every shot capabilities. Mm-hmm. He should be studying those rounds, seeing where they leave the balls because they can't get you know they can't definitely can't get at pins, but they can't get you know it is like it, it is like a master class yep. in how to get around that place is when you watch some of these past champions play um, they're, they're kind of in their twilight years. It's like those guys have played it so many times. They know exactly where to, where to miss shots to still make the pars and, and, and take advantage of certain spots. What's your, uh, what's your fourth thing? So before I get to my fourth, I'm just going to lean in on something that you just said there. That's another reason why I love, um, Scotty Scheffler's position so much. For me, out of the top three right now, he has the best course management and strategy. The way he manages his ball and chooses his shots with his capability and what the golf course is offering him, he's, he's, he's wise beyond his years in, in that strategy aspect. 
there's there's a certain like uh it's almost like humility i think one of the things that happens when you're one of the best players in the world is you feel like you can take any shot on and with all you know with you know a lot of times you take the shot on and they hit it and that's the spectacular thing about those elite elite players is they can hit shots that nobody else can hit but scotty is very very smart with when he when he with his risk management really around there around any golf mm-hmm. course and and that we've seen with I think Jordan I think Scotty Scheffler he's basically just a you know at this point it's young in his career still but he is a a, a set, effectively longer Jordan Spieth you know he's got that skill around the greens and on the greens maybe not quite as as magical around the greens and on the greens but that thing like with Augusta, so much of it is like you're going to run into a bunch of birdies out there when you're as long and talented as Sky Scheffler. It's just keeping the bogeys off the card. Mm. We see it every year. You know, we see guys that make, you know, makes five, six birdies around and, you know, they probably walk away thinking, oh, I could have won if I hadn't made that six on 15 and 13. You know, mm-hmm. not not subjecting yourself to the big numbers is so much a part of uh, playing Augusta National. All right. Yeah. What's your fourth thing? Yeah, his strategy reminds me a lot of Jack and Tiger. But here, and and saying Tiger, Tiger is my fourth. He's All number right. four on my list. I apologize to him for sliding him down from his rightful place at, he did, at number one. He didn't one make on my list. list. Yeah, well, you see, you know, that's a fail right there. That's a fail right there. Well, this is, that's my job, a contrarian blogger. I mean, you, you know, had I, cell phones on the list, stuff. but you don't have Tiger Woods on the list. You know that just shows where your mind is at. But anyway, I knew you were going to have it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to cover common ground. Oh, here. you see, I'm playing checkers. You playing chess. You you're like, well, I know he's going to have this, so I'm going to have a little bit of this. Okay, I like that. So Tiger's my number four. It's not that long ago since he won his fifth green jacket in 2019, but so much has happened to him personally since that win in 2019, and. You know, like we touched on earlier, anytime he pitches up at a tournament, particularly a major championship, the whole dynamic of the week changes. It brings a whole different energy uh, and experience to to everybody, whether you're a patron in this case or a journalist or another player. And we'll see, you know, watching him closely and, and speaking to him uh, regularly uh, and watching him closely at his tournament out in LA, the Genesis, the, the game is still there. And, it, it, you know, there's a part of me, like, as um, I'm slowly but surely getting rid of the, the golfer mindset, like I can still play kind of thing. But there's a part of when I'm watching him, like, I'm still mad at him. My whole career, I was mad at him because he was so good. And I just I couldn't understand it. I couldn't fathom it. I knew that there was going to be no amount of work that I could put in to be able to match what he was doing. And so, you know, while I was competing, I was, I was, I was constantly mad at him because he was so damn good. And now still, you look at what he's been through and the way he's still able to play. Still got tons of speed, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, still able to move the ball in both directions, trajectory up and down. He still has great distance control with the irons and wedges. The wedge game might be better than what it's ever been. Uh, and he still has the touch on and around the green. So all of that is still there. Need reps though. You know, he's always been a guy that's spoken about reps to be able to be ready. And now he's only had this one tournament. 
um, in LA to be able to dial a lot of those fields in, his playing fields. Uh, so that is a question mark. And then the walk, you know, the walk. We know yeah. how, how tough the leg is. We saw him in LA, you know, the shoe is on and off. He's adjusting the sock and the brace and everything that's going on there. Um, he's wearing shoes that are extremely firm and stable and they basically like lock your foot in so that he's got a hard platform to be able to walk on and even though that he's made great strides with his gait and the way he walks to be able to limit the pain you can still see how uncomfortable he is and we measured this weekend if you're playing the masters tees at augusta national you're in for between 17 and 20,000 steps on massively undulating terrain. So, you know, it's not just the walk and the terrain, but then when he's hitting the shots, has he done enough work, enough testing, enough practice on hitting these shots from uneven lies and all sorts of different stuff to where he knows exactly how that leg is going to react? These, to me, are the question marks. I don't doubt his talent and his skill and his ability at all. But I'm just wondering, you know, how this leg is going to be, be able to react when the gun goes off. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's one thing I think that is looking good. It looks like it's going to be a warm week in Augusta, which I think it's really important for, for the rest of the body beyond the leg. I think that people, people forget, you know, you get the leg was obviously a catastrophic injury, but you know, the back was not in good shape before the leg. And I think that's one thing that he got kind of a bad weather draw last year when he was playing these tournaments with, with how the, you know, almost every major, it had to be one of the coolest collection of major championships in weather wise in, in the history of golf. And, uh, hopefully this one, it looks like it's warm. Hopefully the rain stays away. Obviously walking on, on wet, big golf course is, is a little bit more taxing than when it's a little bit firmer. So um, anything Tiger does doesn't surprise me. Yep. So I think that's the way you have to look at it is he could do anything. He's the ultimate wild card at this point in his career. And like you said, I mean, I couldn't believe the speed at Riviera that he had. I mean, that he was out driving Rory. Exactly. It was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. I mean, you you could argue, you could argue that, he made Rory change his driver. <laughs> yeah. And then Rory's been on a two-month like excursion trying to find the right setup with his driver. Uh, yeah. You know, when I spoke to him about it at Waste Management, he said that, uh, you know, he, he put a click extra of loft on there going into Riv to just to get a little bit more spin. But then the face looked a little funky because it appeared more closed to him and it was a bit more upright and he didn't feel like he could go with this power fade that he was hitting. So he was hitting spinners. So he he, he said that that was the reason Tiger was kind of uh, knuckling it past him there because Rory said he was hitting spinners and wasn't quite catching the middle. But since then, you know, he's been on this process of trying to find a driver that he can dial in. Looks like he finally managed to do that this week at the match play. All right. My, my final one is, uh, is, is looking for one. We've got a, a slew of, of top players that don't have a major, some of them with a lot of major success and just haven't done it. 
um, a few with not a lot of major success that are playing the best golfs of their golf of their career. So we got Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, Xander Shoffley, Will Zalatoris, Cameron Young, Victor Hovland, Sam Burns, Tony Finau. To me, all of those guys are kind of in this bucket of players that, you know, they're not quite first page favorites, but, you know, some of them are, you know, going to be top five favorites. But, you know, all of them, you know, seem like they should win a major. But unfortunately for all of them, there's only four of them available. And there's some really, really good players just in a, in a tier above them. So to me, you know, all these guys, you know, in the Burns, the the Homa and the Cantlay bucket is kind of like, let's see some success. And then you've got guys like Cameron Young, Will Zalatoris, Xander, and Finau who have been in the mix late on a Sunday and just haven't gotten it done. So after all of that, are you going to tell me one name out of those that you like most for the Masters? I, I, I think Cam Young is a tough one to uh to ignore based off of what we've seen from him the last two at the pga and the open and then what we saw from him this week that i think that there's you know there's certain players that are a little bit different and watching cameron young hit a golf ball i think is a little bit different i'm a little worried you know i think zell torres would be my pick if if there wasn't you know, the struggle, I think coming back from the injury has been tough. Uh, obviously, he's had to make some swing changes and the, the putter's not been great l- lately. But I think Cam Young, to me, looks like a guy that is going to win some major championships. Yeah, he sure does have the tools. Uh, enjoy watching him play, man. The the the, um, the explosion and the speed that he's able to cre- create pretty much only with his downswing because he pauses at the top. So, okay, he has this massive load. I'll, I'll give you that. And he's loaded up. But then he, he doesn't keep that momentum going. He has this little pause. And then the speed that he creates from that pause into impact, it is, uh, if you can watch that live, if you have, you know, for any fans out there, if you go to a tournament and he's there, make sure you go and watch that. Uh, yeah, the thing get, that- get a down the line view of his driver. I think like, real quick on Cam Young before we move off this. It's unfortunate. Obviously, Cam Smith is the story of the Open. And then story B, 1B is Rory not getting it done. But Cameron Young, the, the drives, the shots he yeah. hit down the stretch absolutely deserve a, you know, it, he's the forgotten guy. But like, I'll never forget. You know, I was I was kind of toggling between those two groups. I mean, the drive he hit on sixteen and seventeen were unbelievable mm-hmm. coming down the stretch. That lines, the lines he took, and the commitment, and and just what you're saying, the speed is just out of this world. And then obviously, eagling eighteen. Yeah, the 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 thing that would concern me about him getting the win next week would be the lack of experience around that golf course. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that there's no greens books at all, but there have never been at um, at all now, but there have never been at Augusta National. So you can't fast track your experience through using the greens book. But to counteract that, the caddy change to Paul Tesori, who's been around there a million and one times, uh, could absolutely help him. And I'll just throw my name out there out of those, Cantley. Cantley has all the experience. He has a very, very rounded game. Brilliant short gamer and putter, smooth stroke. So I'm not worried about any speed control issues. Um, 
So I would throw Cantlay out with uh, with those groups of players that you'd mentioned. He's got to, there's got to be, he's just too good to not contend at these majors. And Homer's obviously in there too, but um, hasn't had really any success at all so far in major championships. So that's the next step for him is to step up at the, at the big ones and really say, okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm for real. I'm, I'm here. I'm a problem for you guys. His, his year's been unbelievable. And I think if you look at him statistically, he's gotten a little bit longer. The iron play is ultra elite and he's really good on and around the greens. It, it just hasn't, it's like what you, it just, I feel like he's kind of in the same bucket as Cantley. It's just like, it hasn't happened. And uh, I imagine, I, I think he's going to be in the mix late at something this year, if not more than one. Yeah. Uh, of these majors because he's just playing too good a golf yeah i mean like the results are unbelievable what I, what's what, your fifth what I, thing what i keep saying to him before i get to my fifth one what i keep saying to him is you know a lot of players believe that when they get to majors they have to do something different and and really you don't max homer just needs to go there and play his game and stick to his strengths and bring his strategy to augusta national and have belief in it because uh, he has everything it takes to win there for sure. Here's my number five. My number five is live players playing first time all year in the same field as PGA Tour players. Interested to see what the dynamic is going to be. There's a lot of moving parts to this. There's lawsuits and all sorts of things going on. There are friendships that have been strained. There's been things that have been said in the media. So just really fascinated to see how this unfolds on the biggest stage at the biggest tournament in our sport. And when you take a look at the two buckets of, of players, the two tours, you got the PGA Tour and you take a look at the last three or four months on the PGA Tour with the advent of the designated events, I mean, it is like iron sharpening iron out there. <laughs> we got the best yeah. players going at it, going at each other. Yesterday at the match play, another brilliant example. Uh, you know, these guys are toe-to-toe -to -toe, like, okay, that's what you've got, that's what I've got. Week, weeks off, they're grinding because they know next week I'm going to have to go up against this lot again. And they are really bringing it. I mean, the product, the actual golf has, whew, man, it's, never been, been better. it's been impressive to watch. I'll, I'll go there with you. It's never been better. I, I hate to say that because, you know, just not to disrespect previous generations of players, but man, is it fun to watch these guys just going at it. So they are, they are in tip top form. I mean, these guys are like thoroughbreds just like waiting to, to come out of the gates here for this Masters. And then... You look over at the other tour this week, they're only going to play their third event of the season. They're lightly run. They are playing against the same 47, 48 guys all the time. Competition, uh, with all due respect, is just not as stiff as what we're seeing out of the designated events. The fields aren't as deep. And, uh, you know, how... How are their games going to be able to match up to the magnitude of the Masters when they haven't been competing all that much? And that's just the golf side. Then you start to look at the mental and emotional side when 
you know, as these players are going to be interacting with the media, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears to me as a as a golf fan that all the media hasn't really had that much access to these players. And when they do have tournaments, it feels like the questions aren't necessarily all that pressing. And that could be different at the Masters because now, you know, there's going to be a vast majority of people in that press building being able to ask some some really hard-hitting questions. And how will that throw them off, if any? Will it? Will it not? You know, I was a type of player that, quite honestly, you know, maybe I was just mentally weak, but I purposefully did not do pre-round interviews because I was concerned that I would ask, be asked a question that could get stuck in my mind or that could get me thinking uh, in a direction that I, that I didn't necessarily want to in that moment I, as I was about to compete. So I had to absolutely crawl into my shell, my cocoon, and be mega, mega focused. So um, there's just so many question marks to see how everybody is going to react and how it's going to play out. So for us as fans, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just uh, unnecessary. I feel like so much of golf is limiting your stress. You know, you see it with having just easy tap in pars versus when you're, you know, having to make five footers all all round long. Like eventually, you're gonna crack. And one of the things that can add stress is just being a little bit less comfortable than usual. Maybe you don't have as many friends on the driving range. Maybe you just feel a little bit less awkward or a little bit more awkward walking around than you usually do. And also like a little, it's just a different feel than what you're used to in these 54 hole no cut events. You know, when you tee it up in a major championship, everybody talks about that first tee at Augusta, just hitting different. It's going to hit a lot different. I think for some of these guys that haven't played competitively, you know, at, at a high competition level since really last year, the last year's open, I think, you know, I I also think that like we could probably look at like we're starting to see the returns, but like guaranteed money and in an off season might not be the best combination for some of these guys. You know, there might be a little bit less. I don't want to call into work ethic or anything. Um, And obviously, if one of these guys comes out and wins, but the early results of the big payout guys, the court, the courses, of course, haven't really fit their games, I think. Great. And that if I was live, I'd probably be trying to pick courses that fit my my big money acquisitions um but i think you know when you look at some of these guys games early in the year with the guaranteed money in in a in a real off season they haven't been as sharp as they would be if they were playing on the pga tour yeah i you know for me um i understand your point i probably want a bigger sample size before i go ahead yeah. and, and say that uh and i will qualify everything i said Oh, I will add this extra layer. You know, is a Dustin Johnson or a Cameron Smith, do they have the ability to be able to win the Masters next week? 100%. 100%. But, well, you know, it just remains to be seen how this run-up has affected their game and their preparation. So that's why I've made my list, because I am excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. It's a little bit different uh, narrative than last year's. Who's going? It's gonna be how are these guys playing? Mm, um, good point. With 
with regard with regard to picks, it sounds like you're in on Team Scheffler this week. Uh, you know, I hate making picks this early in proceedings. Maybe I'll take a leaf out of your book and say one and pick five. You know, your your five points turned into about ten. But I will go because, you know, I'm on here now and you've asked me to do this. I'm going to take Scheffler as my pick and I'm going to take Sung J.M. as like a, I don't know what you want to call it, like a yeah. outside shot, dark horse. I don't know what type of explanation you want to give give on that one i i like that i like that you're given given a sleeper right mm, sleeper, that's it sleeper right? that's nice as... i like that i like that better that's cool sleeper pick i mean it's crazy that sung jay i think that speaks to the the talent level that sung jm is actually kind of a sleeper all right i'm gonna take uh, i i hate that i'm doing this i'm taking rory he you know what Good. are the reasons i i i told myself two weeks ago that i wasn't taking anyone but shuffler and i've I've talked myself into Rory. My uh my sleeper, I I don't think he's a sleeper anymore. And this this was my sixth thing. If I decided to bump something out mid conversation, I had this one ready. Jason Day, mm. what an unbelievable year yep. so far from him. He looked phenomenal at the match weight. It seems like he's just getting better and better every week. Is the thing the distance is back. The iron play is great, and you know the one thing you never have to worry with about with Jason Day around the greens and on the greens. That's what made him such an, a great player, and the Masters record's unbelievable. I think there's going to be... A, I, I don't think he's necessarily a sleeper that long, but for people listening to this podcast, he was a sleeper for the Masters like six weeks ago, so I feel like yeah. I've, I've staked my claim there. It's a so, great... It's Jason a gr- Day's been... It's a great sleeper pick. I'm so pumped to see him playing well. Uh, you know, if you take me back about eight months or so. Like, I so badly pick him for the President's Cup team. Like, I so badly wanted to pick him. Uh, he started working with Chris Como just over a year ago. Chris is one of my best friends. And so I had uh, some inside knowledge on what they were doing, what they're working on, how things were starting to improve, how he was starting to really believe and understand the, the process that they were on. And I knew he was going to start playing better. I just knew it because I could, I could see the trends. I could see, you know, when Chris would share some videos with me of their practice sessions and, and, and stuff that Jason was starting to do, I knew he was going to start playing better. It was just a matter of him being able to be more comfortable taking it to the course. And I so badly wanted him on the team for the President's Cup because, you know, we really needed experience. We needed somebody who'd been there before. He's a former world number one, major champion, players champion. The guy's done everything there is to do. And we needed a little bit of that. We needed a bit of big name firepower. And um, I just unfortunately couldn't couldn't quite get there. His game wasn't there yet. But it's been so, so impressive the way he's played this season. And uh, yeah, earlier this year, like in January sometime, I tweeted out that, that he and Fowler are going to have big years. And uh, I, I just get that feeling watching them, watching how comfortable they're starting to get. So I like that day pick. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, hey, Trevor, thanks so much for coming on, to giving us your uh, valuable time here. And good luck. Good luck in the first year as the, the lead, uh, lead uh, I guess, uh, an analyst, lead analyst for, I, I'm butchering the title here, no, an hour and a half in. That's fine. So lead. Lead analyst at the at the Masters. That's uh, it's I can't wait to uh, hear uh, 
here intermixed with me being out there hear your uh hear your calls on the on the tv yeah thanks i'm really pumped about it it's going to be full circle for me to uh <clears throat> to be back in butler cabin sitting next to jim nance calling the action it's uh it's going to be great i can't wait well deserved you've been fantastic this year um on cbs and cbs has been uh, unbelievable how how my how much uh how much you guys have uh taken your broadcast to the next level this year well i appreciate it i enjoyed this chat thanks so much andy thanks trevor thank you for listening to another edition of the fried egg podcast today's episode was edited by matt ruches thank you matt as a quick reminder, I mentioned it at the top, but uh, a big part of uh, our Masters Week coverage is going to be Club TFE. Uh, this is a uh, this has been a big part of our you know golf coverage in 2023. We're putting out daily articles. We're doing these course profiles every Wednesday. People are super into those, and um, you know we're we're investing in this uh, this platform to make it better uh, week in week out. So. Uh, if you're interested in joining Club TFE, uh, getting more content from us, go to membership.thefriedegg.com and you can uh, sign up. It's $120 for the year. Really what this this money goes to is helping us grow, continuing to build out, build out our editorial team and make better content. So that's what it's for. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons we're able to send Meg and Garrett down to Anwa. So you know, this is uh, a way that you can you can really support us. So thank you. And uh, we will be back later this week with more podcasts. And if you aren't yet, check out the Shotgun Start. We'll be having daily podcasts there from the Masters. Thanks. And uh, looking forward to a great Masters here.